podcastjuice.net Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Prince Podcast on PodcastJuice.net. My name is Michael Dean, but of course you knew that. And today we are joined by a legend in the music industry. Uh, He's somebody who's worked with a lot of great stuff. Before I introduce him and talk about what's going on today, I also got to introduce you to my co-hosts that are joining me today. Of course, joining me today is Mr. Big Sexy and Sax. Sir, how are you? You know, I'm doing great, and I am ready to roll. All right. Also joining us today is Mr. Sean Hill. Sir, how are you? I'm doing good. Uh, Just enjoying another beautiful day up here in Northern Cal and ready to get it on. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, as I mentioned, we have a special guest today. So, joining us today is Mr. Perry P.J. Jones. Sir, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great, guys. What's going on? Man, we are just here. Uh, we're at school today. You, you are the teacher. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we're having some funk school today, as, as I like to say. And uh, before, right. we, before we begin, so Perry, uh, I got to tell people who may not know about you. Uh, Perry, now you go, go look his name up on Google. So Google him. So when you do, you're going to see that he has worked with some of the greatest in music, period. Uh, and I'm going to throw a few names out there. Uh, Little Richard, uh, Patti LaBelle, Herbie Hancock, Dionne Warwick, Jimi Hendrix, Quincy Jones, George Benson, and also, of course, Prince, because that's why we're here. But he is probably, he may be more known for working with the legendary, one of the greatest groups ever, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Now, for some of you young listeners... You might be like, Earth, Wind, and Fire, I kind of know some. Go ask your moms and them and anyone who really knows music because I guarantee you, as much as we love to pump up what was popping off today and and things of that nature, Earth, Wind, and Fire laid a foundation for a lot of stuff that's happening today. And that music that they created is still relevant and still the jam and, and still music that you will hear in pop culture today. So to have somebody that's associated with that, I am. I'm from those schools, so for me, I'm like, ah, thank you, Mr. Jones. <laughs> you know, sensei. <laughs> you know well, it's, it's my pleasure. <laughs> it truly is. Uh, I was very fortunate to uh, start at a very young age uh, doing teen hops in Iowa. Mm. Uh, back in the day, America Bandstand, and it just came on, and we were watching from Des Moines, Iowa, which is the same area that Prince came from, Minnesota. So we were in the Bible Belt, and we didn't know a lot about black music or, you know, just the whole black experience. But for me, watching American Bandstand kicked it off for me, and I started doing all the latest dances. And (laughs) one guy at the radio station decided that he needed some entertainment when he went to go do these sock hops, and I was the one who did that. And so as a featured dancer, I went on to many years out on the road, with him in the state of Iowa. And after I graduated from high school, uh, like most young black folks or black men, I was inducted into uh, the military and went to Vietnam. Mm. And I produced my first show in Vietnam uh, for the troops over there. After I came back home, the same gentleman who got me started 
uh, doing the teen hops, had a job for me here in Denver, Colorado, as a local promotion man. Well, I would go out to the radio stations and I would promote records. And when the artists came in town, I would take them around for their various interviews. Well, three years after that, or a couple of years after that, actually, Warner Brothers decided to go into the R&B black market. And the Jim Brown, who was a big uh, artist for them on the film side of Warner Brothers, mm -hmm. directed them to do a national search for their first African-American national promotion director, and I happened to get the job. So that's how all of this wow. started. The first project they gave me was Earth, Wind, and Fire. Now, now what, what uh, year, do you remember when this was, like what year this was? This was in 1969. Wow, okay, wow. I was born in 69. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just getting ready to get started here. Nice. And uh, as I... Uh, moved to Los Angeles. I uh, met Maurice White, and we sat down. And again, from the Midwest, I didn't know I was really black until I met Maurice, who's from Chicago. Mm. Well, he straightened that out real quick. <laughs> and then we decided to uh, have the same mindset on what kind of music he wanted to do and how he wanted to approach it. And I was able to go out on the road and promote across the country and at one point, I was able to put a small pro uh, promotional tour together for uh, the band. And as we came to Colorado, I had a show here in Colorado, promotional show for Earth, Wind and Fire, the original Earth, Wind and Fire from Chicago. Mm. Well, my opening act was a group called Friends and Lovers, which was Philip Bailey's act that I had already known about when I was the local promotion man here in Denver. So I had him to join the show. And as we went on to do the show that night, Maurice, I introduced Philip to Maurice. And uh, some months later, probably about six months later, we were in Los Angeles. And uh, Maurice said, I had to break up the group. What am I going to do? I said, no problem. Let me spin for Philip Bailey. And I put Philip into Earth, Wind & Fire along with Larry Dunn and Andrew Wolfell. Wow. That, so you introduced Philip Bailey to Maurice White, and that's how he got yes, into I the did. group? Oh, that's amazing. And that's how he got into the group. That is the group now we know mm -hmm. as Earth, Wind, and Fire. Now, let me, let me back it up a little bit uh, and, and to talk about the great Maurice White, uh, who mm -hmm. you know, passed away last year. Uh, mm -hmm. what kind of man was Maurice White? When I, and I ask you this again, um, to me, I, I only know just from, you know, the music and the first time I actually really paid attention cause I was, you know, a little young at the time was in the eighties, uh, when the mm -hmm. song, and this is sort of way after the, when the song Less Groove came out, because to me, mm -hmm. like my mom used to jam that we had the 45 <laughs> And uh, aerobics, mm -hmm. aerobics was big back then. So that was my mom's aerobics song. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm playing out mm -hmm. my mom a little bit, but I remember seeing him, and I was like, you can look at the smile on his face in the video, and just the, just like sort of an energy that sort of a, you know, emoted from him. That he seemed like a special type of dude. So I'm, I'm asking you, like, what kind of guy was Maurice White? Very spiritual, okay, and very knowledgeable. He read a lot, and he read a lot about the different religions across the world. You see, mm. and as they always say, knowledge is, is power. And he was a power person in regards to that. 
but he was structured. He knew what he wanted. He knew how he wanted to approach it. You have to remember, Maurice was on the road with Ramsey Lewis. Mm -hmm. And back in the 60s, jazz was big, especially in Europe. And in fact, the Europeans know more about black music and jazz music than most Americans know, Sadly. you see. Yeah. So that's how, that's how we got the Beatles invasion, or the English invasion, as they would call it, with all the groups coming over playing blues. They were playing blues licks, you see. So Maurice grew up in all of that. He was at Chess Records. R&B heaven, that's, that's the, the whole mecca of R&B. Even before Detroit and Motown. So Maurice had all that knowledge, and what he was able to do was to pass it on to people like myself or to Philip, and we were able to pass it on to the next person and then to the next person, and then his writing was more spiritual. Mm. It was about what we could do. Remember, it only had been a few seven or eight years since we were just, you know, being able to vote. Right. I mean, you know, 1965, 67, 68 was all about you know, uh, the rights to vote. Um, and I mean, this was just part of the whole black movement. Well, his image he wanted to project was different than the original R&B groups that were out there, you know, such as Johnny Taylor or uh, Little Richard or what have you. He wanted to deliver a message of, of blackness that could stand on its own. Mm. <laughs> spiritually, knowledge-wise. So what he was able to deliver in lyrics with Philip and, and, and Larry and, and Al McKay and what have you was something that we really needed at the time of our generation. It was like a bridge. It took us over that old stereotype, chilling circuit, old, you know, mm -hmm. processed air kind of <laughs> entertainer, you know, which paved the way for us. Don't, don't misunderstand me. Without them, we couldn't get to where we're at, mm. you see. And so that's what Maurice was about. That's that light that you saw him when he would do his videos and what have you. He had a secret knowledge because he stayed in front of us with his knowledge and, and concepts and the way that he wrote. But speaking of Groove tonight, that was actually written, written by um, one of the girls in the emotions, Wanda, and her husband. And her husband, Wayne, was a keyboard player for the Brothers Johnson. So they're the ones who wrote Groove tonight and presented it to Maurice. Wow. Okay. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, a, lot of, that's, a, that's a lot of stuff right there, man. Okay. So now, again, when we go back to the Earth, Wind, and Fire, so you are working with them in a the capacity of you are uh, doing promotions? Is that right, at this time? I was working for Warner Brothers Records as their national promotion director. Okay. And, and then, then after a period of time, I left Warner Brothers and went to work with Maurice directly. Now, can I ask you, because I saw an interview you did or a piece that you wrote about why you left Warner Brothers. And, and I'm asking you this because, again, of, of, of your age and in terms of you've been through a lot and seen through a lot. And, you know, where we're at in America right now, where we still have to, you know, stand up for ourselves and different things of that nature. But what what happened with Warner Brothers? Because I'm thinking Warner Brothers is huge, you know, a big record company, major label. Uh, they're getting into black music. You're one of the first, if not the first African-American in that job that you're doing there. What makes you leave that job? Uh, if you don't mind me asking. Well, 
Well, no, not at all. In fact, what had happened was that that promotional tour I took out on the road, I mean, took them out to do, we were only supposed to go to New York, you see, okay. and do the Gaslight Club up there and then do our publicity for all of New York, you know, uh, television, news plant, and the whole bit. Well, what had happened was I had already been across the country and I'd met with all these black disc jockeys and I come to find out that most of them were on payola. Well, I was not going to start my career as being part of the old black system of payola. So what I did was I offered them a situation where we would come to town and perform for them because most of the black jocks, they own record stores or they had nightclubs or they would do their uh, weekend gigs and what have you. So I was able to bring Earth, Wind and Fire to them they would play the record, but at the same time, I set up a marketing plan, whereas they would be able to buy direct from Warner Brothers their music. Prior to that, they would have to go to a one-stop record distributor mm. and pay cash only. Well, if sales were slow for them, they didn't have the cash to buy all the, the hit records. Well, what I would did was I opened up a pipeline for them so they could buy direct from from Warner Brothers. Well, when I got back off the tour, the sales, national sales guy, who had just, they just hired, brought me in his office, and he was pissed off because how dare I make that kind of a deal on the behalf of Warner Brothers, and he does not like black music, and he does not like Earth, Wind, and Fire, and he hates niggers. Mm. And that, that was it. You know, and that was it. So what had happened was that I left his office, I went downstairs, and I, I couldn't hold it emotionally. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the very few times I ever cried in my life. And the chairman of the board, Mo Austin, came downstairs and talked to me and said, Hey, man, this is part of life. Mm. This is what it is right now. You know, and you have to get over it, and you have to deal with it. But it doesn't stop for you being successful and it doesn't stop you from doing what you need to be doing. So I had to man up. But I didn't have to take that. Well, at the same time, Maurice was a little fed up with Warner Brothers because of this whole marketing scheme, because they took it all apart. And so he was ready to leave Warner Brothers. And so I left Warner Brothers, joined him, and we went on to sign with CBS. Wow. 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 <laughs> Man, and that's what... And then seven years later... That's when Mo Austin, the chairman of the board, called and said, Perry, I got a problem up in Minneapolis. Right. I need for you to go up there and check on it for me. And he says, this guy, uh, he's way over his budget. He's getting ready to sign a contract with uh, uh, Chris Blackwell, Bob Marley's manager, and we don't want that to happen. I said, okay, Mo, no problem. I flew to Minneapolis. I met with the kid. He happened to name to be Prince. And there we go. Man, We're off and running. So, and I want to get into that, but real quick, um, because I just think it's important. So you go on and start to work directly with uh, Maurice White, Earth, Wind, and Fire, and you sort of become like uh, the tour manager, you know, road manager thing. I mean, you go into detail of like just how large of a production that you were in charge of. And this was an international tour, right? You guys went to, obviously, the United States, I think Europe and Asia. And, yeah. you know, 
can you just tell me a little bit? Because I think it's important that we hear. I mean, how old were you at this time, too? That's another thing. <laughs> oh, I think I was about 27. 27. And you got the, one of the hottest yeah. bands in the country and you're setting up this huge tour can you just tell us just a little bit of like what that entails what sort of work involved to, to do something like that well i was with with earth wind and fire in two parts i was with them in the early 70s from like 70 to 72 and then uh i left maurice because i was under the impression that i was going to have full management well at the time he decided that he needed to bring in a management, white management company uh, by the name of Cavallo Ruffalo. Mm. So I was a little dismayed and I left and I came back to Denver and I opened up a nightclub and started doing concerts and I did my radio shows and what have you. And I guess while they were out uh, doing their tours in 71 and 72, Maurice wasn't really happy. So I had done a show over here in Denver for him and it was the first 10,000-seat arena that they sold out, and I was able to deliver that for them. So Maurice asked me to come back and take on this world tour uh, that he was getting ready to, to embark on. Uh, that was That's the Way of the World tour. And uh, at the time, uh, my responsibility was for 16 band members, another 38 to 60 crew members, and uh, two planes, the Learjet, uh, prop jet um, and uh, eleven tractor trailers. And when I worked for Maurice, I worked in many different capacities. I was a, uh, in the studio as a production manager. Mm-hmm. I was a tour manager, a road manager. Um, I was a promoter, uh, a concert promoter. Uh, I was a record promoter. So I wore many different hats. But in my early days, when this gentleman I worked for here in Denver uh, at the distributed level, the local distributor, asked me what I wanted to be. And I told him, I I want to be a record man. Mm -hmm. And so that's what he said I would have to be, a total record man. So, saying all of that, those are just some of the hats that I wore when I would work with either Earth, Wind & Fire or Sly Stone or or Mm -hmm. Prince or whoever the case may be. Wow, you work with Sly too? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, me and Sly is really good friends. <laughs> There's a real story about that. I can't. I can't tell you that story. <laughs> I can tell you that when I when I put Little Richard and Sly together one night, Uh-oh. you know, about four in the morning, Sly got pissed off, kicked us out of his house, and we had to walk all the way two miles down the hill because we were in Bel Air down to the limo, and that's just how crazy that night got. You can only imagine uh, yes. Sly and Little Richard. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so anyway, you mentioned yeah. you mentioned something interesting. Uh, I know for a lot of Prince fans, the name sort of jumps out. Now, who was the manager again uh, that Maurice went with? Uh, Cavallo Ruffalo, Bob Cavallo, Joe Ruffalo. All right. Now, now, of course, the Prince fans know that. That management team also worked with Prince, so so let's segue. Because I delivered Prince to them. Ah, so let's yeah, let's get into that. So Mo Austin, you know, legendary record guy, right? He he reaches back out to you, and you said yes, he, he said I have this situation. He said you have a problem in Minneapolis. What was the problem? Again, just to, to reiterate. Well, what had happened was Prince's first manager, Owen Husney, 
um, did a great job to get him a record deal and what have you. But Soft and Wet was overproduced, and uh, they went way over budget. And Prince wasn't happy with the outcome of, I guess, his management, so he wanted out. Well, in doing so, uh, some kind of way he met up with, while he was in New York with uh, Pepe, uh, Prince, that is, uh, I guess they met with Bob Marley's manager, and Mo Austin didn't want this to happen. Well, I actually got the phone call from Bob Cavallo. But I'm working with Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Bob Cavallo, I'm back with him again in L.A., and Bob said, Mo's trying to get a hold of you. He's getting ready to call you. So I said, okay, I'll accept the call. So in doing that, it was easy for me to go to Minneapolis and look at the situation. And as soon as Prince put on that tape, oh, my goodness, I want to be your lover. <laughs> uh, why you make me feel so bad? Sexy dancer? Oh, we were on a plane back to L.A., okay? <laughs> I mean, done. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so what had happened was I come to find out many years later through Maurice that it was all set up, hmm. that Bob Cavallo, Mo Austin wanted Cavallo Ruffalo to manage Prince, but Bob Cavallo couldn't do it because he had a deal with CBS that he signed, just signed with CBS and Earth Wind and Fire. So they needed somebody to go get Prince. Well, they knew how I was able to work with these artists, and I was pretty much a closer. So I went to Min I went to Minneapolis, got the kid, brought him back. Well, now the kid tells me we're working on the album, and what I did was, in order to separate uh, the the budget, at the time we were switching over from sixteen track to twenty four track. I bought a 16-track studio from the studio that we were working with for Earth, Wind & Fire, Hollywood Style. I took the studio up to Minneapolis, got him a house on Lake Minnetonka, built him a 16-track studio in his kitchen that all uh, just kind of opened up into the back porch over the lake. Hmm. That's how we got the tracks for the Prince album. And I came under budget, and Mo Austin gave me a $10,000 bonus. In the meantime, now we get our first gold and platinum record. Prince wants to do um, the time. Well, I'm just barely getting money from rest from Warner Brothers to support all of us. And it's the old classic situation, whereas I'm just now getting ready to have my first child with my wife. They know I need money. So they're just squeezing it out of me just a little bit at a time. Hmm. Well, I go to Quincy Jones, who I had worked with, with Brothers Johnson, and I said, Quincy, you know, I need for you to do this, that, and whatever. He says, well, Perry, I can't right now because I'm in the studio with Michael. Uh, we're doing Off the Wall. Wow. Well, while I'm in the studio talking to Quincy, Prince is outside in the car, you know. So some years later, even Quincy... Uh, spoke on it. Well, the first time I met Prince was through Perry. So anyway, all these stories revolve around how Prince got to the next level. Mm -hmm. Well, I brought him to the Earth, Wind, and Fire family, who we had already established all this for. That's how he was able to jump off so quickly, you see. Yeah, but okay. after, after the first gold and platinum record, it's easy to manage a group. Mm. You know, the phone yeah. rings. Mm -hmm. 
you know. But at the time, Prince didn't want to walk into Warner Brothers to get our gold records with the black manager. Mm. And okay, I'm okay with that. So they sent me to Minneapolis. And then all of a sudden, he wanted the Rolling Stones tour. So he thought the Volvo Ruffles could do that. Well, since I wasn't able to get the money from Quincy, I had to get the money from Cavallo Ruffalo, and I had to start giving up some of my points, my management points. And they wouldn't stop taking my management points. And I said, I'm done. I'm through with this. I'm out of here. And I exiled myself to Africa for two years and went over there and started, you know, dealing in, in commodities, you know, export imports. And, um, yeah, I ended up with a little bit of gold, you know, okay. and what have you. I did good for myself. But uh, that's the basic the story what, what, about uh, Prince. When you, when you first met Prince, uh, I mean, how was he? I, I see somewhere you said it seemed like he had uh, some problems with his family structure. Can you elaborate on that? Well, I, you know, you know, coming from a musical family, and being an artist is not an easy thing because when you're out there playing those gigs, I mean, just like for the women, just like for the men, you have a lot of different opportunities, you know, to come your way, um, you know, sexually, um, drug-wise, uh, money-wise. It's all very tempting. And so it's all very confusing at the same time because you are trying to project an image that you don't even know that you're about. Because you're just now discovering yourself, you see. So that's the problem him and his dad had and his mom, because his mom was a, I believe she was a singer, and he was a keyboard player. He had a jazz group or whatever. Prince didn't talk to me a lot about his family. None of his family, you see. Mm -hmm. But that is the problem that I was starting to realize while he was, and I think he's a double Gemini. You know, so, I mean, this cat is, like, totally different, <laughs> you know. So uh, that was part of his makeup. That's why he was very shy and an introvert. And uh, he acted the way that he wanted to act or the way he acted, you see. Okay. Sometimes he was not such a nice person. Hmm. Perry, um, let me ask you this. Uh, uh, it's been written way back when, actually at the time you just uh, were referencing, that initially Warner Brothers didn't want to give Prince full production authority, and they wanted Maurice to produce him. Uh, how did, were you involved in that uh, round of discussions? I wasn't involved in that round of discussions, but I was able to circumvent that by going and convincing them that I could take him into the studio, and I could buy him a 16-tracks uh, studio and deliver this product. And they said, okay, go for it. Hmm. So that's how we got around from him not being produced by Trent, I mean, by uh, Maurice or Verdine, you see. Wow. Okay. And so what happened was that uh, they gave me a budget of $77,000, and I came in at $74,000. Hmm. Right. So what happened was I laid all the basic tracks on the 16 track, drums, guitars, and keyboards, and all of that. Then I brought it out to Hollywood Sound, where we did all of our Earth, Wind, and Fire stuff, and I was able to lay, lay down the vocals, and then the backgrounds, and the lead vocals, and, and, and then all the uh, different uh, lead guitars, and what have you, 
You know, now we did have to do the drum tracks over again. The drum tracks didn't come uh, as clean as, as we wanted them. But this kid was phenomenal, man. I mean, he was part musician, engineer, and I mean, his, his, his grasp of things, he was a quick learner, a quick study of everything. So he knew what sound he wanted. And I also knew the sound, too, because I'd been in the studio with Maurice. And Maurice being a drummer, I knew it was all about the drums and the bass. You see? Okay. So a lot of the things that I was able to share with Prince came from what I learned from Maurice. And one of the things was, you know, syncopation, uh, simplicity, uh, not overdoing the tracks. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And with that, we got, you know, I want to be your lover. All we got was yink, 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 yink. Cut right through that 16 track, nice. you know. Do you remember? And then, you know, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was saying, no, no, was, ahead. was there any other musicians uh, that came along with him? Did, did Andre Simone, I don't know if you're familiar with him, did he come out there? Which Andre, one? I brought Andre out. Uh, we all rehearsed with Jay, uh, uh, Dickerson, Dez? Uh, Dez Dickerson, Andre, um, uh, Bobby Z, um, the little keyboard player, I forget what his name is, but we were all, those were all the people that he grew up with in this music in Minneapolis, you see. And so it was very, it was supposed to be actually a partnership between Prince and Andre, mm -hmm. Simone, mm -hmm. you see. But Prince was about Prince. <laughs> and I can say this about <laughs> Prince. He knew what he didn't want. Mm. Okay. You know, so most people know what they want. He knew what he didn't want. And that's why he was able to elevate himself so quickly. Um, although he was, you know, childhood friends with, with and lived with Andre and his, his family, he was on a mission. And rightfully so. You know, he delivered. I mean, he delivered every ounce of it, man. I mean, this guy, when I saw him at the Super Bowl, doing Purple Rain, mm -hmm. tears came to my eyes. Now, I'd have been away from him about seven or eight years. And tears came to my eyes because that was truly a magical, musical moment. Yeah. You know, that was orchestrated by the gods, man. Mm. You know? <clears throat> and you can't get any better or greater than that. You can put the Beatles, you can put whoever you want in any of their performances and Prince's Purple Rain performance is right there at the top. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Unbelievable kid, man. Yeah. What, being that you worked with them really early on, and then, of course, you know, he goes on and has many milestones in his career. But even at that mm -hmm. point, did you, did you have an inkling to know, like, wow, this guy could end up being one of the greatest, to, you know, in the game? Could you see any of that at, at that early time? I saw all of that, and that's why I was so uh, heartbroken that I lost him to the larger management company, mm -hmm. you know. But the idea of, did I get a chance to experience all that with him? No, I didn't. But sometimes we're only here, put here for the mission that we're assigned to. Mm -hmm. And my mission was to deliver him to Los Angeles, to Warner Brothers, Bob Cavallo, Joe Ruffalo and let this kid be who he was who he was going to be. Right. And that was my mission. Okay. Same way with Earth, Wind, and Fire. 
you know. So a lot of kids out there that are looking to have a moment in the music business, you may only have a moment. Mm. It's not guaranteed that you're going to be able to endure this long, long trail. You know, and it's a hard, it's a very hard. And there's a lot of setbacks, there's a lot of heartbreak, you know, and if you're not strong, oh, the, you know, they keep talking about the sharks. Boy, they got some sharks out in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to swim with them, boy, you got to be a little bit of a shark yourself. <laughs> okay, say that. <laughs> <laughs> wow right on um i also also got to ask you about this uh you were there for the uh the, the the photo shoot for the the second album is that right with prince yes i did the photo shoot talk, talk to us a little bit about that because i you know i you know the first the front cover is is an iconic picture of him but it is the back cover the inside he's like on a horse with like yes and he looked like he's naked i was always i was trying to understand what was going on with that but how did all that come about well, I sit down and I ask him, I said, man, what kind of image do you want to project? And he says, I want to be someone that nobody knows who I am. And I said, what do you mean by that? He says, I, want him, I don't want him to know whether I'm straight, whether I'm gay, or what. I want to be stripped all the way down. I said, okay. I said, well, what do you want as an album cover? He said, I want the front of the album cover, just me, a big picture of me. And the back of it, me on a white horse on Pegasus, flying. I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Remember now, I'm traditional. You know, and this is all new concept in, in you know, Earth, Wind & Fire's album covers, uh, mm -hmm. most of the photo shoots we do. And so I said, okay. Well, at the time, my partner, Tony, his brother, was a uh, beautician, an hairstylist. So immediately we went to work on his hair because he needed some work on his hair. And we got the hair right and we shot the front of the cover and we were looking at it and we were going, I was going like, man, I don't think the art department at Warner Brothers is going to accept this. Well, at the same time, I got a hold of the, the um, artist development part of Warner Brothers and I said, the kid wants to be on a white horse and, and along with the art department, and he wants wings like Pegasus. So them being into the movie business, they have all of these different ranches. Remember, they were big Western uh, movies that they did. So we went out to one of their ranches, and we found the white horse. I picked the right horse, and we went ahead, and he said he wanted to do it nude. I said, well, man, you know, I can't have everybody to leave that's around here and you want to do it nude. So I had my cousin Tony to go get a package of DVDs, the little white ones. And so uh, with that, I got with the makeup artist and I took part of their makeup that is skin tone, close to his color. And I just tapped it all over the underwear, put him in the underwear, threw him on the horse, and we got the pictures and then we got those back to Warner Brothers, and then they went ahead and put on the wings. And there it was. Wow. We did not understand how magic is supposed to be made. <laughs> but between that album cover and the music inside, we were able to give Prince his first gold and platinum album and gold single. 
Wow, wow, wow. Congratulations on that. <laughs> Woo, that's a... Uh, he was on that some... That one he, I did not know. Yeah. <laughs> Prince was a visionary. I, I mean, because, man, I wouldn't have Absolutely. Thought, yeah, I mean, that's just incredible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so he played that role between gay and straight his whole career. Mm-hmm. You know, until of all the stories start coming about what kind of a, you know, womanizer he truly was. You know, but then there's another story about him and I and me explaining to him about women and life. Oh, please. I can't please. tell you that one. Uh, <laughs> that's the game right there. He said the game is sold. We'll talk off camera. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, at one point, him and I were like, I was his big brother until the management company stepped in and started you know, spreading whatever they were going to do to, to oust me or what have you. But I don't feel bad about it. You know, I don't feel any remorse or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, for me, it was an honor to be able to work with Earth, Wind, and Fire and Prince right. all in the same breath. I mean, really. <laughs> yeah, that's so, amazing. You know, uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I was saying it's amazing because, uh, you know, for, for those, you know, you were on the uh, the Gratitude uh, album or tour. Like, I see your name right there, track number one, you know, it's an introduction by MC Perry Ro- uh, Perry Jones, excuse me. I mean, you were immortalized yes. yeah. on their on stuff. Um, man, uh, so I, I just wanted to ask you, in terms of uh, the legacy of not only Prince, but of Maurice White, uh, both of them in the same year, you know, um, sort of moving on. What, what do you, what, can you speak to us sort of, what does, what do both of them mean to not only black music, but just music in general? Like, what should we remember about these guys? Well, you know, uh, I, I come to realize over the years that great people that do great things leave us at a time that leaves us with an impression Mm. And they've left an impression on us. Just look at Bruno Mars. Bruno Mars is the same makeup as of Prince. Prince was the same makeup of James Brown. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So to be able to carry on that legacy and to be able to get ready for the next generation, we have to have Maurice and Prince at the top of their game to impress upon us how important and how um, special this is, you know, and uh, these young musicians, they have to realize that this rap that they're doing, although it may be cultural poetry, it does nothing really for the next generation. Now all these guys are in their 50s. Now all these guys have teenage daughters and sons, Mm. you see. And what have they done for the legacy other than to hold up their nuts with their hands? So musically, culturally, yes, we accept it as a new form of, of music. But to carry on, we need the Bruno Mars, you know, Justin Timberlake. You know, I mean, look at some of the artists that are, grabbing, you know, taking on the charts. They're delivering lyrics. They're getting back to that emotion that's deep inside of us that says that we're spiritually and we're, you know, got some good in us and we want to do good for the next person. That's what we're missing. 
And that's what's going to have to come back to make this music be what it has always been, you know, which mm-hmm. is a, a message, a cultural message. It's just that we just kind of got sidetracked with the rap. And trust me, believe me, I understand that we needed that. It's just like we need, you know, Donald Trump right now to wake up everybody mm. to see what it really truly is. Okay. <laughs> you know what okay. I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, same way with rap. You know, them folks needed to know what this was going on in the hood. You dig? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, we accept it as what it is. Well, uh, uh, and you said you you're, you said you were 72? I'll be 72 in June, June 28th. 72 in June, and, and I, I'm loving that, you know, you name-checking Bruno, because to me, like, Bruno's sort of kind of one of the next cats that's really out there kind of doing it. And I want to have the same type of energy that you have right now when I get to be your age and, and still sharp, still up on what's going on out here. Last thing I wanted to ask you is, what do you think of the music business now? Well, I don't think much of it because what happened in the early days, cats like myself, you know, coming from Des Moines, Iowa, <clears throat> and starting off the way I started off doing teen hops and, and featured dancing and DJing. Yeah, I got it honestly. You know, I earned it, you know, as I went on uh, through my musical stair steps. Now, the record companies, they have their nephews, their sons in these various positions and they know nothing about music. Music is raw. Music is about the feeling, the soul of the people as we're moving day to day. Well, these folks, they've all went to college. They don't know anything about the hood. They don't know anything about anything other than they work for this large record company and they have an expense account. They weren't out there grinding like we were grinding and, and going through all the experience of being a total music person you know i mean we gave up our wives we gave up our kids we gave up a lot of money that we could have had we gave up sometimes sanity you know for the love of this music Mm. so they don't have that now everything is digital everything is you know youtube itunes you know blah blah (laughs) you know there's no real character to how to break an artist it's easy to break an artist now you know just slap them on YouTube and see if it works. If it doesn't, get another one up there, mm. you know. But to go out there and really grind and promote and mm. and go through all the shortcomings and and really build an act and an act build themselves, right? You know, they yeah, they've lost all of that, man. That'll never happen again. Yeah, that's you know the way you just described it. I mean, <laughs> uh, and I think I think of Prince. It's like he didn't just again. He's immensely talented out the gate, but he didn't come out the gate as the prince that we know right like it took time to no. sort of build up to that point and there was the successes and not some so much successes but it was like you said that grind work the fine tuning of of his yeah. uh, image and package and the musicianship to get him to the level of you know even when you jump to a purple rain you couldn't just come out purple rain you had to go through all the other albums and looks and, and get out on the road, That's right. and, you know. So yeah, it's tough to it's tough to try and do that now because, like you said, it's all about corporations. And hey, I got a bottom line. I got shareholders. Is that album a hit today? If it ain't, 
you know, bringing the next one. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, and, 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 you know, so if that's the next generation, that's next generation. And they'll have to figure that out too. But it's to be told that little cats like, you know, Bruno Mars is smoking it. You yeah. know, he's out there on the stage smoking along with his music, you see. And that's why all of a sudden, you know, he's got a fan base from eight to 80. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah, because a lot of my friends still go out and go see Bruno Mars. That's all they talk about when he comes to town. <laughs> I'm going to go see Bruno Mars, and I'm taking my granddaughter. Nice. You know, but they don't, they're not really concerned about taking a the grandma. They're going out there to go see him. They like that live entertainment, man. Right, right. You know, and, and that dancing and that working it, you know. But just to hop around on the stage and, and oh, I'm cute. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Hilarious. <laughs> oh, all right. Mr. They call you PJ? Is that, is that what they call you? PJ. That, and, and please do. PJ. All well, right. P, PJ, so uh, we're going to wrap things up, but I want to make, make sure people know. Now, you have a, uh, you're working on a book. Is that right? I'm working on a book and a documentary. We're at the just the early stages. Okay. Uh, I will let everybody know how we're progressing over this next four or five months, but uh, I hope to be able to deliver something that uh, the music business will be able to put it into their archives and, and young folks will be able to learn from. Yeah, well, we, well, we need it, man. We, we definitely... We want to continue to learn, and and again, that's how we can be go be great. Is that we can look back and see how Maurice White and them did it, and the trial tribulations they went through, so we can learn from that. And, and Prince as well. Um, is there a way for our listeners to reach you online if they want to follow you or, or something of that nature? Yeah, I'm on Facebook. Okay. You know, and uh, that's about it. I haven't really went all high tech with you guys, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to keep up with my son, Prince, who helps me a lot. Wait, 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 you know, wait, wait, wait. So, what's your son's name? His name is Prince. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you like the artist Prince? <laughs> but here's, an, here's another little one here. <clears throat> I had mentioned that they kind of had me in a bind here because uh, we were getting ready to have our oldest son, Quentin, and uh, he was born March 28th uh, in Santa Monica Hospital. And Prince was at the hospital when he was born. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, this family thing that we had at one time was very close and very tight. Okay. But again, you know, powers to be, they know how to put that separation and that wedge Mm. in between folks and there's nothing that you can you know actually do but uh just go ahead and accept what's ever going to be is is, is what it's going to be right right but yeah i do have a son by the name of prince and my oldest son um he was there prince was there at the hospital when he was born wow because we all lived together the prince lived with me you see oh okay uh -huh. this was back when he was recording uh -huh. that second album that's right. Uh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Let me make sure, and this is going to go out there to the, to the people because I I think a lot of people weren't too didn't know too much about you in terms of your relationship with Prince, and it's important that they do. Um, you know, it's, it's important to be known. So, Mister PJ, man, I thank you yeah, so much for coming on, man, and sharing your story and wisdom. 
Oh, my pleasure. You know, and for the other guys, thank you very much for, for having me. And I hope all you guys have a great musical life and career. Well, we will, PJ. I just sent you a friend request, so yeah, that's me. So let's keep this okay. thing going. Yeah, I did too. So. All righty. <laughs> all right, PJ. Okay, we'll talk to you later. This, all right. All right. Thank you, sir. Also, too, I wanted to uh, take a quick moment here to just shout out some of our supporters, donators. Uh, one, definitely the uh, people of Paisley Park. Uh, shout out to Lori. Uh, she donated a great donation uh, this week. And also to uh, Rebecca in Germany. Uh, we thank you so much uh, for checking us out out there. And uh, all of you who are, you know, our constant donators definitely have not forgotten about you thank you so much and if you want to donate to the show you don't have to the show is going to be always going to be free but just go on our website and there's a there's a donation link on there you can do a one-time donation or you can set yourself up for like a reoccurring uh so we whatever you do uh trust me it is appreciated keeps the thing rolling uh with that we got to get up out of here this is the prince podcast podcast juice Dot net. As I always say, work it like a job. We will see you next time. Peace.
Earth, wind, fire, ladies and gentlemen. Earth, wind. 